What up, y'all? I'm Brendan Whitted, and I'll be your host on this episode of Politics Aside, the politics podcast on the That's Black Male podcast network. As always, I'm joined by D.C. litigator Edward Williams II and Florida prosecutor Adrian Mood. We ask that on whatever platform you're listening, you please rate, review, subscribe, follow. Without further ado, let's get to it. What's good, y'all? It's uh, it's great to get up with you guys again for for another edition of this politics aside. This is uh, this whole show has like really kind of expanded what I thought I knew about politics. You know, I, I've always cursorily cursorily, um, but this has been an, a really cool opportunity. So every week, chance to learn something. Ed, how are you doing today, man? Uh, you know, feeling pretty good. I have I've managed to watch less news. Over the last uh, since the election, I, I already feel uh, the normality Good. seeping back into my life. Now, for me, normal would be watching CNN 24 hours a day, but I don't feel the need yeah. to because I know there's craziness happening. But I don't need to worry about it because in less than 60 days, craziness is coming to an end. As if we don't end up in World War Three before then. We'll talk about that. Allegedly. Yeah, we'll, talk about that. Allegedly, we'll talk about yes. that. We'll talk about But my current assumption is that the world's going to get a little quieter in 60 days. So uh, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. And Mood, uh, how are you doing? You know, like we were maybe two months away from not having a uh, commander-in-chief who's always on Twitter. <laughs> it just would be, it would be nice. I, I can't tell you how forward I look to it. Uh, you know, I'm ready to not need to, like, check in every day on what the president's been up to to see who's been fired next or what wars he's trying to start. Um, you know, or I'm honestly hoping nobody shows him fleet. Oh God. No, definitely not. And why, why Twitter? Why Why? I didn't need that in my life today. Why? Yeah. People just doing the most. They they definitely could have waited till at the end of January to like roll this out. Like, bro, I don't need like the launch codes on the, (laughs) on on the, on the, uh, on the stories, bro. Like I don't need that. I don't need that in my life right now. Um, so this is, this is the part of the, part of the show that we do across every uh that's black male podcast on the podcast network um where we ask what you want which is essentially mostly was born out of my own boredom and and running into walls at on hulu and netflix and amazon and just trying to like i mean yeah i I, you know you could read too i guess (laughs) loser nerd Uh, but like any any content that you're consuming and I will start with you, bro. So, uh, you know, I think they had the final season of this, but, uh, I started watching Shit's Creek. Uh, oh, yes. I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, I think I'm on season two. So, uh, normally I'm very hesitant to start shows where there's a lot of content ahead. Cause it just seems so intimidating, but, uh, I've enjoyed it. It's something I can kind of have on mindlessly and not have to be, you know, t- tuned in super hard to what's going on. And, uh, I'm about to say, where are you about to go? <laughs> <laughs> to me, well, look, man. How am I going to see what's going on? Right? How am I? I can't pay attention to the fleets and to the show necessarily all at the same time. <laughs> Multitasking is not a strong suit of mine, as y'all know. Fair. So, uh, that's true. So enough. it's something I can take a take a look at the timeline, take a look at the fleets, and uh, then tune back into the show. That's real. No, it uh, it's a little slow starting, but I I, I mean by the you know third or fourth season they're in some rarefied air there so you're you're you have a whole bunch of good stuff coming up for you what about uh what about you uh so i am back into uh the great british bake-off which is on netflix this is uh (laughs) this is our this is our jam right now um it is one hour of kind baking and like (laughs) and human it is i'm telling you i'm telling you it has been the best detox from like the darkness of everything around us. <laughs> um, it's just, it's, it's light and jovial and it's actually incredibly diverse, which I've been surprised by. And every season there's like, a, okay. there's like a amputee every season. There's like, you know, someone from uh, you know, like Indian heritage. There've been a couple of like uh, black or Caribbean or African migrant um, who, live in, who live in Britain. So it's actually been, it, you know, um, I am definitely found myself on the Issa Rae rooting for everyone black tip. Uh, even on the Great okay. British Bake Off, but uh, but it's actually been it's a it's a good, relatively addictive uh, uh, baking show. So, have you have you like learned any like baking tips? Like, can you can you give some of our listeners like some like 
so, so baking so I that you've way, I the, so so I actually as you guys know like I cook like my dad's a, my dad's a chef I you know learned to cook under him so I actually do cook I do not bake regularly and oh, so <clears throat> and so what I I don't have any like good tips but I feel like I know when they're making mistakes like <laughs> like like I am good enough now to be a like passenger baker right like I'm a good backseat okay. baker right good now. co-pilot I'm a good co I'm like like today we're watching we're watching episode right before this podcast and someone was using white chocolate to make like a very delicate dessert I was like don't use the white chocolate it always melts white chocolate always let you down man it always let you down for everyone out there you need the you need the actual chocolate it could be milk or dark but you need actual chocolate okay that's a that's a PSA. That, I'm I'm sure that's why everybody tuned in so that they can get some baking tips. So thank you, Ed. I, I, look, I really look, look, that's a tip that. not just for baking. That's a tip for your life. Okay, so <laughs> let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was about to go sideways in a quick. Like I thought about, it. I was like, mm, how how, how reckless do I want to get at the at the top of this particular let's podcast? All right, so. So we, we talked a little. We alluded to it a little bit earlier in the in the our kind of preamble. This thing, uh, President Donald Trump last week as senior aides. What possibilities? I can't get through this without laughing. What possibility? I know it's not funny, but I can't. Uh, what possibilities has had for an offensive strike on Iran's primary nuclear yep. site? Uh, the New York Times reported Monday. Um, so you guys can address that particular idea. Uh, at, at, at the be- at the beginning, but more so, I just I'm, my my question is a little bit bigger in scope in terms of what are the last two months of this administration going to look like? Like it looks more and more evident, despite the the multiple litigations, that there does seem to be some sort of pause setting in on the on the administration that they do recognize that they lost the election. Um, so yay, I guess. But what does that mean for the people that are still living in this country while we have a lame duck president? And I, I'll start with you, Ed. Yeah, you know, look, um, this is what flailing looks like. I mean, it, it is, this is really, um, this is the danger zone. You know, these last 60 or odd days is really a danger zone. I mean, he's still the commander in chief. Um, he obviously has been exercising control over the Defense Department in a major way, uh, obviously, you know, firing um, Esper and a host of other uh, uh, defense officials, as well as, uh, you know, terminating someone at, uh, who was the head of top cybersecurity today as well. So, uh, you know, one of the powers the president has is to terminate personnel, and he's exercising that to a very high degree. Um, the, the big concern here, I think, has to be um, how do our uh, on a foreign on a foreign policy perspective? How do our opponents, our kind of not so, I mean you know enemies, our you know adversaries, whatever you want to call them, around the world see these sixty days um, where the president is obviously not interested in doing the job of president anymore? You know he's pouting because he lost. Um, how weak are our defenses? Um, you know how are the Joint Chiefs ready for um, a defensive military operation? Um, during these 60 days when the president is clearly unwilling to pay attention to the world and to what, you know, to the country, nevertheless, the world. And so, um, so I think that that's the big concern for me from a, from a military perspective on the, you know, what does it look like generally? I I think we just kind of see the tantrums continue. I mean, he, he will, uh, he will go out whining. I don't expect he will attend the inauguration. Um, I suspect um, that he will make his announcement in you know in the next week or two that he he'll he'll reannounce he's running for office again uh, he's running for president in 2024 um, he has been raising money uh, telling his supporters that is going toward defending recounts and letting, um, around the country to defend or to you know steal you know stop the steal or whatever the hashtag is um, but that uh, in fact the the money has been first funded which he will be able to operate hundreds of millions of dollars of supporter money um, to relaunch a campaign on day one, January 21st of 21 uh, for his 24 bid um, or to just basically continue to control the Republican party. Um, So 
I, I'm, I am, I'm more worried about how others see us. I'm not as worried about what he'll do. I think most of what he's going to do can, is salvageable um, by, you know, the Biden-Harris administration. But, um, but, I, but I do think we should be on guard that our adversaries are also watching this. Um, and, and we are at a weak, I mean, we're, we are weaker right now than we have been um, in quite some time. I mean, you know, I, we've never been particularly strong with him at the helm, but, um, but we are particularly weak now that we have someone who's, you know, his, his eyes are not on the road at all. So. I want to ask Mood, I, I want you to get to respond to that, but I also would like for, for you to respond to like, why would, and, and Ed alluded to it, why would you, why would you fire the secretary of defense? Like what, what is the purpose of doing that this late in administration? That's not something that we would normally see as a president uh, exits out his term, right? So you're asking me to give rhyme or reason to something Donald Trump has done? Well, you know, Secretary Esper has apparently been one of the few people who have pushed back against Trump, and Trump can't have that. He likes yes men and sycophants. And Esper, notably, uh, after, you know, the protester, he was on that walk uh, to the church with where the protesters were gassed. And he said that that he regretted that later. He didn't know it now whether it's true, whether he knew where they were going or not. Um, I, I can't say. But he had, you know, earned the ire of Trump by not just endorsing everything Trump was signing him up to do and that pushback against him. And then we're seeing also, as Ed mentioned, uh, Chris Krebs, who is the head of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, get fired tonight, just a few hours ago, via tweet, as Secretary Esper was fired as well. Um, and wait, I'm sorry. He he fired me because I, I hadn't yes. been on earlier tonight. A few hours ago, and, and a few that, hours yeah. ago, Chris Krebs, he was the head of cybersecurity and infrastructure agency, which was charged with protecting our election security. Um, he had come out and basically shot down all these Trump conspiracy theories, saying essentially that this was the most secure election that we've ever had. And you know, Trump obviously vehemently disagrees with that because you know it doesn't uh, jive with his. Uh, perspective that the election was rigged and stolen from him uh despite you know his lawyers in court looking like fools uh you know making arguments and then abandoning them and you see a lot of big name firms getting out of the way and uh withdrawing from cases because they look like idiots in court when uh they try to bring these claims that clearly are meritless um and you know you start to get a little nervous for your bar card at that point um when a federal judge is looking at you like you know what are you alleging exactly and where's your evidence like that's the problem is every time you challenge these people about election fraud they have no evidence um but it does undermine uh small d democracy and our faith in our election free and fair elections but donald trump has never cared about that um so in the next 60 days i you know i'm nervous because donald trump is on his grievance world tour and he is going to fire any and everyone who opposes him or you know out, he's out to settle scores. Um, now, I think he's going to have some bigger issues starting on January 21st when he starts being open to criminal and civil liability for a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and I know we're going to talk about that a little bit later, so I, I'll leave that alone. But I think, you know, with the Iran situation, I'm very nervous about that because, you know, it's we've just, our, our, our Congress has ceded more and more authority to the executive branch historically in the last, you know, couple of administrations. Um, from, you know, like the war in Iraq and Afghanistan, first starting in Afghanistan and then expanding to Iraq. Um, and I would argue it's not clear that Trump has the authority to just launch a strike against Iran, but I don't know we have the in institutional fortitude to oppose that. I would argue he needs that's an act of war he needs congressional approval for um, to just strike a country we have not been in active conflict with. Like, I think he needs congressional authorization for that. Um, but I can't count on people like Lindsey Graham, who's got his own set of issues now, and other Republican senators to insist that he get congressional authority. Because, I mean, we're talking about another nu potential nuclear power, um, and you're just going to attack them. Like, that's in your lame duck. Like, that is not acceptable. Republicans, if a Democrat were considering taking this kind of military action, would be howling. But everyone... You know, they can't even call Biden the president-elect because they're so afraid of angering Trump's base. Um, so I'm very concerned about what's going to happen in the next 60 days because Trump is just sulking, playing golf, and getting angry 
Um, and I, I also, though, on a light, mo lighthearted sort of moment, I can't wait to send y'all some uh, presidential pardon bingo cards. <laughs> the free space is going to be Trump partying himself. Okay, ready. So just yep. FYI, because I think you're going to see corruption on a whole nother scale when he starts pardoning people. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. Um, hmm. Actually, no, no. Let, let's let, let me let me let me put a pin in that because I, I I actually had a question uh, about you mentioned uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, and he's been accused, I guess, of the uh, um, of asking the Secretary of State for uh, the state of Georgia to um, throw out legally cast ballots or to to I guess inquire as to what the what the um, what the protocol would be for throwing out legally cast ballots would be uh, and insinuating that they do so. Um, and I'm coming right back to you, boo. And then I'll go to you, Ed. I mean, like, these are like, these don't seem to be spurious claims. There, there, there are other witnesses that say that they, uh, that have, have reportedly ha that witnessed this interaction. Uh, it kind of like, is like, what is the next step? If there is something to be done about this, what does that look like? So, yeah, Lindsey Graham, uh, apparently there was a phone call and other people were in the room when the phone call happened. So the Georgia Secretary of State has pushed back really hard. And I think he went to the Washington Post about it um, because he's come under fire, not only from Lindsey Graham, but also uh, current senators who are running in a runoff on January 5th, Loeffler and David Perdue, um, who asked him to resign for with no proof of any kind of failure of the election to be free and fair, like just because you know, that's the Trump line and that's what they have to in insist. Um, so, I mean, whether there will actually be a real investigation under this Senate with Mitch McConnell, uh, I don't know. I'm skeptical. Whether there will actually be any teeth to consequences, I, I'm doubtful. Um, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think it's bad press for Lindsey Graham right now, but whether I don't think anything meaningful is going to come of it. But it's scary because we're seeing to what extent people are willing to go, and I mean the Republican Party, to disenfranchise people. And people who cast, despite the hurdles just to vote, now you cast the legal ballot and they want that thrown out. And we're seeing in Wayne County, uh, which I believe contains Detroit as well, uh, they're, they're few, they have a 2-2 uh, or 2-2 Republican Democratic uh, canvassing board, and they refuse to certify the election results. And that also happened tonight as well. Um, so it's going to go to the state canvassing board. And it's like there it seems like they are attempting to get this to the state legislature so it can then send a slate of electors where they could then be faithless and cast electoral votes for Donald Trump. Uh, whether that will actually happen, I don't know. I imagine there would be and there should be protests in the streets if uh, they undid the will of the people of Michigan um, to try to have these faithless electors. Um We'll see. But it's it's very scary what attempts are being made to undermine uh, people's faith in this election, despite the fact that, you know, Joe Biden is currently up, I think, like six million votes uh, in the popular vote now. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll keep it short. I mean, I echo everything that, that Mood said. And obviously, I mean, you know, uh, what Lindsey Graham is alleged to have done in, in calling up the secretary of state of Georgia and saying, you know, is there a way to not count all the ballots that were, you know, lawfully uh, had or lawfully made? Um, would, you know, if this, had, you know, I always like to take the example, like, if this had happened in another country, how would we talk about it, right? And we would talk about it as, you know, uh, as bribery, we would talk about it as a corrupt, as, you know, corrupt practices, we would talk about it as, um, you know, this is a, a clear example of, you know, overreach by the president's party to interfere. And, 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 and all of that's true. And it's probably the right context in which we should be talking about it. The problem is that we have, so, we have for so long been so overloaded by so much norm breaking that is going to be really hard. And I think that's the work of the next few years, right? Is like, how do we resensitize ourselves to stuff like this? Like in a pre-Trump world, Lindsey Graham would have never thought to call the secretary of state of Georgia, Republican or not. Um, to, to ask him to do something like this because it would have been so out of bounds. It would have been the, the front headline on every major newspaper and every major uh, network. And Lindsey Graham would have had to resign 
from his seat. I mean, it would have been that it, to put it in context, like it would have been it would have been the same or equivalent to and going all the way back to 2008, uh, 2009, when Governor Blagojevic uh, tried to sell Barack Obama's Senate seat. Like this is the, this is that level of kind of unbelievably unacceptable behavior. Um, and so uh, this is the you know, we, we are in a post Trump world or soon to be in a post Trump world. Um, and I think a lot of it is about rebuilding norms. So stuff like what Senator Graham did actually is calibrated for as being as bad as it actually was. Uh, you mentioned the post-Trump world, and that'll segue me into my next question. Um, NBC News has reported that President-elect Joe Biden has privately told his aides that he would uh, like to avoid investigations into alleged President Trump misdeeds and criminal contact conduct good gracious for the sake of uh unifying the country um and i'll i'll go go to you mood is that do you think that's the best tack to take in order to in order to get some sort of semblance of a middle in order to just hey we're going to i don't want to say forgive is too strong but decide we're going to decide not to pursue some of these potential charges because dredging it back up only creates a larger divide. So I think he's sending the right signal publicly right now by letting these feelings get out to the alleged feelings get out to the press. I think he is rightly concerned with his whole presidency not being consumed by Trump. Uh, however, he needs to be clear with his DOJ and his next attorney general that uh, they have complete independence, which we have not seen uh, with Jeff Sessions and, and certainly not under Bill Barr of independence of the Department of Justice, uh, he needs to have a very frank conversation with his attorney general is follow the facts wherever they lead you and we'll live with where they lead you. Um, I think that if we do not pursue cr a criminal investigations or the facts where they may of Donald Trump, we encourage the same sort of behavior with that no consequences, the same, all this gross uh, abuse of power and Lord knows what else continues. If we just say, oh, well, when we get back in power, we're just going to let it let bygones be bygones. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, yes, it's important that Biden try to keep the focus on what he's trying to do for the American people. But and so I'm fine with him sending that signal so long as he follows up with the DOJ and lets them pursue it if it's there with complete independence and stays and steers clear of it. And I think that's historically what we would have preferred is like, hey, the DOJ is supposed to operate independent of political influence from the White House um, and just let the facts follow you where, where they go because I think you just can't let it go because a more charismatic and smarter person may be the next Trump and uh, be a little better about the criming. Yeah, the crime. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, I, I think I, I want to go, you know, so two responses. One, I, I think I go one step further. I'd like to see uh, President-elect Biden have his attorney general appoint a special counsel um, to investigate uh, this previous administration for the purpose of, not for necessarily for the purpose of finding criminal indictments, for the purpose of a public report, for the purpose of a public hearing before Congress um, and for criminal referrals as appropriate. But, but part of the problem that we have is we don't even really know all the stuff that happened um, because we only saw, like, we were so distracted by you know, bombs going off in Iran and, you know, that, that we, and tweets every, you know, at four in the morning every day, we probably missed a lot of the criminality that was occurring. And I'm, so I, I think that we need a, we need some sunshine, we need some sunlight on it. Um, I think, I think he should appoint a special counsel and have, uh, have it investigated. And to the extent I grew it moved, to the extent criminal referrals are appropriate, you know, they should allow the facts to go where they go. Um, but I do think there has to be a public airing um, for the purpose of one, Congress passing statutes that actually re remedy some of the problems. I mean, we've been talking about this since we started this pod, right? That um, that we have to reinstitutionalize some of our norms. That's going to mean taking some things that were norms and turning them into law. And I think we need to better understand what those failings were if we're going to fix it. The other answer to that is has nothing to do with the federal government. And you know, Biden can say whatever he wants, but there is a black woman in New York State named Letitia. Anne James, Attorney General Tish James, and uh, who is a Howard Law alum, who I promise you right now today is probably sitting on a stack of indictments from a grand jury. 
that relate to all kinds of financial uh, misdeeds by the president and his family uh, from, at time, from, from the statutory uh, uh, statute limitations to now. And, and I'm pretty sure that on January 20th at 1201, there are going to be some people looking for your boy 45. I just feel like <laughs> he's going to be on somebody's list immediately. So, uh, and I think, and I think it's most likely to come out of New York state and, and, you know, even if, uh, even if president Trump tries to pardon himself, there's a big constitutional legal scholar debate about whether or not a president can, uh, can pardon him or herself. Um, most scholars agree that the answer is likely no, but, uh, very, very quick legal history lesson, the power to pardon comes from the power of the king to absolve people of crimes against the kingdom. It's a, it's a very old rule that we borrowed from England. Um, of course, if you were the king, you would have never had a reason to pardon yourself because you were the king. And so, right. like, it, you know, um, but in our... Exactly. So, God, so, so, like, you don't really need to be pardoned by anybody um, because you could never be prosecuted. Although, see, beheaded kings of England. So the people had a way of dealing with that, too. But, um, but... But I think that, so there's a, the point is there's a legal scholarship debate about whether the president can pardon himself. The reality is I think he will try and then there'll be a legal, like there'll be a judicial argument about it that will ultimately make its way to the Supreme Court. But all that said, that's just for federal crimes. That has nothing to do with what Attorney General, Letitia, Tish, and James in New York State. It's, a, it's like, I just, first of all, I just want to say that I love black women. And I love that there are black women like Letitia and Keisha in power and Stacy because because you know like it is like you can't get a more authentic version of you know what she sounds like just based on her name like you know what she sounds like in her office when she's talking about Trump and about what she's about to do to him and I'd be a fly on that wall um, but he has look he, he's in he's in serious trouble uh, in New York State and in a host of other jurisdictions where they've done business. So, um, you know, I, I think that his bigger concern should be state uh, proceedings, which he can't do anything about except hire good legal, like good legal support. Yeah, man. Our dude is uh, not only looking at Letitia James, but also Side Vance in the Manhattan DA's office as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so he mm-hmm. is going to be and he And we've seen stories about people close to the president are saying he's very worried about these legal troubles that are going to follow. Um and I think that's going to be a very real issue for him. And like Ed said, man, those state charges, that pardon power is not going to help you with those. And it's also going to just raise an air of corruption when and or if he decides to try to pardon himself, because it's like, for what? And I'm sure he'll try to couch it in a, well, these, you know, just corrupt Democrats are coming after me. So I did it, you know, as a uh, preemptive measure. But we all know that there no president ever before has tried to pardon themselves. Uh so, I mean, Gerald, we did have Gerald Ford pardon Richard Nixon. Um, but, you know, we'll see if he tries to pull the Pence tactic uh, and Biden would then be the 47th president. But we'll see. I think that's going to be a, I think Pence is going to be very reluctant to do that because Pence still fancies himself as having a uh, political future after this. I think that it can be difficult whenever you start having conversations about forgiveness and stuff like that. I think it can be difficult for a person like me because, like, if I were to go down to the store and rob them for $40, right, if the police knew about it, there's no forgiving of me, right? Like, there's no, like, hey, I know you did this, but we're just going to kind of let it slide, you know, just – and that's that's only obviously a much smaller scale. And I'm being a bit hyperbolic, right, but not right. really, though. Right. Like, you know, if there are these if there are these punishments in place for breaking these laws, then you're supposed to be held accountable. Right. Like that is kind of what you're what you're taught. And brought up. Mm, I would right? argue if that's not what we're taught in America. Law, we're taught that powerful, powerful people can get away with stuff. And <laughs> well, no, but that yes, that that is absolutely uh that is absolutely an axiom, right? Like, if you're powerful enough, you can get away with it. But I think that that's the disconnect where you can feel like you can walk around as just a regular person, not, you know, not the president of the United States, not a U.S. senator, not any of those things. If you were to just break regular laws on a very and a much smaller scale, right? We're not talking about enriching ourselves to the point that President Trump has been alleged to do so 
in some of these in some of these deals and conversations that he's uh, allegedly had. We're talking about on a very small scale having a a much harsher penalty. I think it there's a disconnect there, and they, there's some anger there that hey, well, we're gonna you know if if you know when you hear Pres- uh, President elect Joe Biden talk about letting stuff go, it's like whoa whoa whoa, like <laughs> no, nobody lets it go when it's regular people. Now that the person that is supposed to be a, a, above reproach does something like that, they they are somehow let off the hook. I, I think that that's oftentimes met. No, you're right. Uh, Look, but I think Biden wrong. has a different concern in mind, right? Like his concern, I don't think he's not, I think he would be perfectly fine with retribution or whatever, or, or, uh, or Trump getting his comeuppance or whatever the case may be. His, his concern, I think, is twofold. One, can I govern in a world where Trump is still the headline news? So that's, that, I think that's a big one. And I think the other one is um, Trump has, has invigorated a type of nationalistic populism that America hasn't really seen since Nazism in the 30s, right? Uh, And we've talked about this before, but like we have this, the way we tell American history, everybody was on the side uh, uh, of the allied forces and against uh, the Nazis, but like, that's not true, right? Like there were a a strong percentage of Americans, white Americans were in support of Nazism. Um, And and so the reality is that, that he has to, think about, and, and I think he actually really believes that he is like a unifying force and can be, um, and, I, and I think he would say like, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a white man in America and, you know, I have the ability to kind of pull people away from their, uh, from their more racial inner, like, you know, instincts. And ho- I hope he's right about that. But I think he's, he's concerned that like, if he, if he stokes the flames with Trump too much, that instead of turning the fire down, he'll turn it up. And I think I think he has. I mean, as as president, I want him to be concerned about that. Um, I don't know what I think the right answer to that is. Right? I mean, it, there is a school of thought, and I've been there's been plenty of you know great thinkers and writers writing about it in the last week. Like, well, if you you have to prosecute Trump because if you don't, it gives the impression that like his behavior is acceptable and will be uh, tolerated, and that's also I think a perfect legitimate position. So it, it's a tough place to be in, and. and some of it we'll, we'll have to see, some of it's going to be process-based. That's why I said I think a special counsel or independent counsel might be necessary. So, you know, hopefully what happens is it gets in a situation where it's super silent. President Biden is going on doing his job. And then, you know, someday in July, we, you know, someone at Department of Justice has a press conference. We recently arrested, you know, Donald J. Trump for the following, you know, and that's it. Like, there's no, like, you know, there's no pomp and circumstance. There's no... Um, you know, while we're, these are the, this is the status of the investigation, none of it, just silence and then arrest and trial uh, would be the best way for it to go forward, probably. I'm glad you guys mentioned the divide that we have in, in the country because uh, this brings me to this. Uh, the FBI, as reported by the Associated Press, released a report stating that hate crimes in the U.S. rose to the highest it uh, they have been in more than a decade and that the highest number of hate motivated killings uh, was this past year in 2019, since the FBI began collecting data in the 1990s regarding this. Uh, this included an August 2019 shooting in El Paso that left 22 people dead, which targeted Mexicans in an attempt uh, that authorities said was to scare Hispanics into leaving uh, the United States. Uh, and while hate crimes for African where African-Americans were the victim was held steady, anti-Hispanic and anti-Semitic hate crimes rose. Um, Do you, do you assign a lot, most, all, or any of this rise to the current administration and uh, will simply having a a different leader in office uh, be able to kind of calm down this, this most recent trend. And I'll also, I attribute a lot of it to Donald Trump in this administration. And beyond, here's another person to add to your list of people who will likely get fired, FBI Director Christopher Wray, who has been very uh, vocal about right-wing extremism being the number one, domestic terrorism being the number one threat in this country, terrorist threat. Um, Trump and his allies do not like him saying that. Um, it's something that we have to talk about uh, because it is a major issue. I, I think... He has done nothing. I mean, this is the same guy who said uh, Nazis were very fine people. 
um, after we saw those terrible images that Joe Biden, President-elect Joe Biden often referenced, um, kind of spurred him to run in Charlottesville. Um, so I think this is a major, major issue um, that conservatives don't like acknowledging that they have a serious problem. And instead of like addressing the issue, uh, they retreat to their safe spaces. I guess this new app, Parler, uh, that everyone is uh, retreating to now where they can have their uh, meetings. and. Oh, is that what that is? I, was, I, I saw a mention yeah, of it, but it I don't know it seems to be an app that uh, a lot of conservatives are now fleeing to to kind of avoid censorship by these private companies. It seems like even alleged constitutional experts like Te- Senator Ted Cruz of Texas forget that censorship uh, that we talk about in the Constitution talk it, it is focused on uh, you know the government persecuting you for your your speech, not Facebook, not, not Facebook? Twitter. Uh, you know Jack and Mark Zuckerberg, while they are doing their own Facebook, I would say is worse, doing their own damage to uh, to uh, American democracy. Uh, it seems like they just forget what the First Amendment is all about. So. Um, you know, I think this, we're, this is going to be a problem we're going to have to deal with going forward because uh, the Republican Party is unwilling to police its own. We see uh, too often uh, the Confederate flag, which we know what it means, uh, you know, carried around at these rallies. We see the Proud Boys out there. Um, you see, you know, we have a white nationalist in the White House in Stephen Miller. Uh, so. You know, I, I this is unfortunately I think gonna be a problem that stays with us, um, and we're gonna really have to, as a country, figure out a way to root it out and no let shame these people back into uh, the places where they belong. Yeah, look, I mean, here's here's the challenge with uh, the the hate crime issue and the comfort with hate crimes um, or reinvigorated comfort with hate crimes in this administration. This administration has been enabled at every turn, not just by um, the president, of course, and, and establishment Republicans who folded quickly under uh, under President Trump, but also by, uh, you know, by the media ecosystem, which is what Lewis was, was getting to with kind of parlor. But but, you know, you have a you know Fox News, Breitbart, et cetera. You have all these, um, you know, basically you have you have all these media powerhouses telling people that what they think or what the president says is acceptable as a um, as a way of engaging uh, in in our society, and so you know you have to remember that 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 both Republican, I believe both the first Republican convention uh, where where Donald Trump was initially uh, nominated and the second one had as a part of their like flagship was. Um, people who had been harmed by immigrants who had come here uh, unlawfully. I mean, like, you know, they, you know, literally like took people who worst day of their lives had a family member, you know, be killed or were, you know, some other um, interaction, dangerous interaction with someone uh, who, who came here, uh, you know, you know, not on a visa or whatever the case may be. Um, and, and paraded these people around or paraded their, 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 you know, righteous, their honest kind of victim reality around and turn it into and demonized it as one something that's happening all the time which it's not um you know just as a matter of fact um immigrants are significantly are, are no more violent than people who are born and uh or born here or citizens here and in many cases less violent um and and less likely to commit crime which makes sense because if you come here you're probably a lot less interested in crime and a lot more interested in taking care of your family and trying to make a life for yourself here um, while not getting caught, uh, wait, because under this administration, and to be fair, under the previous ones, uh, deportation was always the, the primary thought of and risk. And so, look, the demonization that, that this administration has done, but it has been echoed by, uh, by, by Republicans, but has been echoed by the uh, media uh, system built around them, isn't, that part isn't going away. And so, I think this is again like part of the long-term concerns for for President Biden or for any president. Um, we are either going to have a four-year gap in this type of like rhetoric from the top, and that four-year gap is going to either give us an opportunity to really like you know cool things off and and get back to a. a, a I saw someone tweet like 
like um, a sigh of relief. We can get back to like regular American racism, right? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, yes, like maybe, so maybe we'll be able to turn it back down to to kind of normal, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, American racism, American brand, um, or what's going to happen is what happened in two thousand nine which was the rise of the Tea Party in response to Obama, um, which gave rise ultimately to President Trump's uh, ascendancy. So I, I don't know which one is going to happen. We'll know in February, right? Like between the inauguration and February or March, we're going to get a really clear idea of if this is going to be a retreat back to normality or if uh, the right spurned by Trump, who's going to have hundreds of millions of dollars and you know, I believe him or I believe, you know, people around him when they say that he's going to build a media empire around himself um, to stoke flames for three and a half, four years. So, uh, you know, we will see like that. That I think this is a this we are fragile right now. And I think that we don't people don't appreciate how fragile the country is right now. And I, I am one of those people who am also breathing a little bit easier these days. But it's not because I don't realize it could all fall apart. Um, like this is we are we are not out of the woods yet and we won't be you know, talk to me after the midterms. Like, let's see, you know, it, it, when, once midterm, you know, the congressional midterms happen and the rhetoric is like back to, you know, uh, Democrats just want to spend all your money and, and not Democrats are evil socialists who want to, you know, you know, eat children or whatever the, the current QAnon theory is. Um, if we're back to the normal stuff that is all a lie, but that's our normal fight. <laughs> like if that we're back to the normal fight, then I will feel a lot better going forward than if we are still talking about kind of, you know, really yeah. crazy conspiracy theories. And, which, you know, sort of my fear is I don't think we're going back to normal because I think the Paul Ryan yep. policies of, you know, physical conservatism and low taxes on the wealthy aren't popular. Trumpism is very, very popular. Um, so I just, I, I would wish we could go back to that. Cause that's, that's a fight we can win every, all day, every day when we can say these policies don't help you. They're not designed to help you. They never were designed to help you. Um, but I just think Trumpism and it's largely just white grievance politics has such an allure. And I think even if Trump doesn't run, um, he fancies, he will fancy himself a kingmaker in the Republican primary for 2024. Um, and I think his hold, he got 74 million votes and counting, um, his hold on that party is going to be really, really, uh, strong unless he's in, you know, jailhouse blues. See, like that's, that's the, I guess the part that I question. Joe Biden has, uh, President like Joe Biden has been pretty, pretty clear, pretty consistent about his unified, no red states, blue states, United States, that whole thing. I don't know how, like, there you can find common ground in some places. Everywhere you can't, I can't find common ground with you if you want me mm -hmm. dead, right? Yep. <laughs> like, there's yep. no like, there's no middle for me. Like, there is literally not a middle where, like, hey, well, you know, just, just, you know, just maybe you can just maim me. Like, there's no, there's no middle there. And so I, I kind of do wonder if it's, if it's kind of a fallacy. This idea that we can come together as some sort of on unity if, like. As you mentioned, over 70 million people did vote for him again, right? Like, I don't, I'm not of the opinion, obviously, that he won the election, but like, that's not a small amount of people. Like, despite all of the scandal that's, that's occurred with him as, in the administration, him personally, uh, where you're talking about uh, locking children up and not, not giving them uh, any sort of, like, I mean, I, I, my, my mind is kind of blown at the fact that. Still, regardless of, regardless of the fact that he was had absolutely no policy regarding a pandemic that is continuously killing hundreds of thousands of Americans, he still got almost. I mean, six million is is fewer votes for, for sure, but that is well, that he is got, he got ten a, million a more than yeah, that. He's, last, got, he's like, gotten the most ever of like, any yeah, presidential right. candidate so I, other than Joe Biden. Right. That's right. So, so I'm wondering, so I'm, I'm trying to figure out like, who are these people that are now going to be in the middle, right? Cause there isn't, I don't know how you can be in the middle. I don't know how that person even exists where, yeah, I voted for Trump, uh, President Trump twice, but now, you know what? Yeah. Now, now I get it. Like, I don't, I mean, no, I don't, I don't think it's about like, being, I don't think it's about being in the middle. Right. Like I think, I don't, I don't think Biden's theory of the case is um, there are more moderates out there that voted for Trump. Like, I don't, I don't know that that's his theory of the case. I think his theory of the case is 
I can show, I can remind people what it's like to live in a pre-Trump America, at least, um, and how, what it feels like to be respected around the world, um, what it feels like not to have to hate the person uh, across the table from you because of who they voted for. Like, I mean, I think, I think that's his attempt. Now, I, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I have been asking this question. I think this is the first question we asked on the first pot was, what do you do with the 60 million people who voted for him? And now it's 70 plus million. So I don't, I, the answer to me has become increasingly obvious and it's unfortunate. The answer is you just have to beat them. Like you just have to beat them at the polls every single time. You have to know they exist. I mean, I think, so, in, you know, we, we talked about kind of the, uh, the, 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 the whirlwind depression that the November 2016 election sent me through. Um, and so like coming into like November, 2020, I was, as the votes started coming in and even though it looked like Biden was going to pull it all out and all that jazz, watching the votes come in the way they did, what there was no clear repudiation of the president. Um, I, it was like, okay, I now can accept that this is the America I live in. November, 2016, I was like, I don't know this America. This is not the America of the, I have a dream speech. Uh, this is not like this. That's, that's not what I grew up believing we had come toward. This is not the. Uh, hope, dream, and change America of Barack Obama. Um, and now I'm like, no, I can look, I, we live in a country where we are evenly split, relative, at least the electorate, the voting population is relatively evenly split between people who would just as easily be happy if I were dead as people who would love to see me flourish. And that is a reality. And, if, and, and I think it governs, it governs how we as voters have to exist, but I think it also governs um, how you raise children in this America and how you talk to young voters about this. Like, I think you say to them, look, um, for now, you know, maybe when millennial and general Z, Gen Z are a little older and when, you know, millennials, children and Gen Z's children are, you know, maybe we can do something with younger generations so that the, the kind of the, the hate ages out maybe over time. But, um, but outside of, all them, all those problems right. are not. They're not. Six-year-old they're men. Not. They're not all six-year-old right. men, guys. That's right. that, that is. That's. Uh, that's. The, the, I, I that's saw right. a lot of those guys. I was like, man, you are young. Uh, what was that? Like, that's right. House, like, was that, yeah. Like that was a. He had. He had to right. ride from his <laughs> he had mom. To, ride to go be a mom. terrorist. Yes. yes. <laughs> like right. You you mentioned like yes. teaching yes. the younger kids. Like all this that's stuff right. gets taught. All of it. So 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 here's the so here's the challenge for us. There have to there have to continue to be more of us than them. And it has to continue to be more of us than them every time. And we have to do our best to raise future generations to continue to be more of us than them, right? Like, I think that the, the constant battle uh, that Dr. Kang and many others kind of talked about in some of their more radical speeches um, was always felt, um, I don't know, it, to me, and I'm not, you guys know I'm not an optimist, but I, I apparently had more optimism than I thought I did. Um, but it always felt like, you know, there are bad people on the fringes. Um, that's just not, the reality is, it's about 50-50, you know, and, uh, and we tend to edge them out over the long run most of the time. And, like, that's, and that's it. And, and either we're going to keep doing that or we're not going to have a country. Like those are the two options. So, uh, and so I, I'm, I, I, feel, I feel invigorated about the work to be done right because it just means that there's work like we're going to be working on this until yeah, we give our last breath what i'll add to that is that i think this is why it's really important and it's going to matter whether we win these uh georgia senate runoffs it's really important for biden to deliver on some things for all these voters who voted for him and who came out for the first time or you know got involved donated money uh text banked for the first time uh, it's really important that he do whatever he can, wh whether through legislation or executive action, deliver and keep people involved in the process um, because it has to be more of us than them. That's just what it, it has. We have to make it no longer tenable for the Republican Party to behave this way um, until they will change. Um, that, that's just what the truth of the matter is, because we see the shameful actions where so many of them can't even call Joe Biden president elect when it's readily apparent. To everyone, they know Marco Rubio, spineless Marco Rubio, kind of acknowledged it the other day. Uh, it's time, you know. You saw Senator Lankford of Oklahoma say, "Yeah, I'm going to make a fuss about Joe Biden getting national security briefings," and then back off of it the next day because he's worried about he's worried about the Trump base. 
And until we make it where they can, it is no longer politically sustainable to behave this way, they're not going to change. It's it's just crazy to me that this is so popular. As you guys mentioned that, like, this is this is if the popularity and and how he has galvanized a, a certain segment, a large segment of the country that I mean, that, and let's let's a, call let's call a state a state. We're finding out people's like patriotism that, is you know a mile wide and an inch deep. The moment they're no longer it requires giving up power for the sake of the country. No longer interested in patriotism. No longer interested in democracy. I want to I want to ask about uh you know kind of in keeping with this two Americas uh during her congressional orientation congressperson Cory Bush wore her mask uh as she should uh with Breonna Taylor on the front of the mask um apparently many congress people thought that Breonna Taylor was congress the congressperson's name obviously it's not it's uh, Cory Bush and not that of the Louisville EMT that was killed by police officers after a no knock warrant that seemingly the entire country was talking about um and has been talking about for months uh, and i kind of just want to ask like like how are these how are these people representatives of anyone when they are so out of touch uh with what's going on in in a country in which they're supposed to be working in the government uh and i'll start with you Ed. Uh, let me let me one up that conversation um, and offer you Senator Tuberville from Senator elect Tuberville from Alabama, who is uh, now soon to be on January, I think, third or fourth, fifth, one of those days, will become the new senator from Alabama, who was asked about the three branches of government and said they are the House, the Senate, and the executive. Now, if you are a listener and you don't know three branches of government, that's okay. Um, they are the legislative branch, judicial branch, and executive branch. But you, my friends, are not a <laughs> senator-elect for the U.S. Senate. So, so, so I'm, I'm not surprised about the Cory Bush, Breonna Taylor mix-up um, by congressional representatives um, because I'm not allowed to be, survive, to be surprised, apparently, by a senator-elect not knowing the branches of government that he is now responsible for. So uh, apparently, you know, th- this is this is not even, <laughs> it, it should, like, I have to laugh to keep from crying because it is like, it's it's kind of scary. I mean, we're talking about, we started this, this pod today talking about like war powers and we was talking about a really important issue about like the right division of war powers between, you know, the, the legislative and executive branches and, you know, who, in, you know, the president's commander in chief, but, con- but the constitution gives Congress the ability to, uh, to enact war and only Congress the ability to enact war. And, uh, you know, and here we have people uh, in office who don't even understand the structure of the government, but will, but are, you know, will, will thump the constitution talking about their 2A rights and, uh, and, the, and their freedom of speech being, you know, hampered on Facebook. And even though it's a private forum. And I mean, you know, it's just kind of a, it, the miseducation of the American public on governments is it is actually the most damaging thing to like successful government right like is that we just do not have a population that is actively educated on how government actually works um i mean look we're lucky we're highly educated young men we like you know went to howard we're in dc we we literally like we we walked around the the you know halls of government um and so they have a real concrete view for us um whereas that's not true for so many people in this country and I, I acknowledge that privilege, but uh, but the lack of civics education is a concern. On the Cory Bush specific situation, though, we are living we and this goes back to the media ecosystem. Everybody around us was talking about Breonna Taylor. Fox News was not talking about Breonna Taylor, um, unless it was to you know talk about the uh, attempted indictment of her boyfriend for the purpose of getting him to indict her, uh, you know, posthumously to say she was wrapped up in the alleged drug, whatever issue um, that he was allegedly involved in. I mean, so if, if it's not to discredit the person, the, the black person who's been unlawfully murdered by police, uh, Fox News is not talking about it. And so, you know, 74 million Americans and counting uh, were not paying attention to Breonna Taylor. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that we can't be surprised that uh, lots of people 
who are now going to be walking the halls of power um, also had no idea um, who uh, who Breonna Taylor was or who Cori Bush is. And um, and so I think there's going to be, you know, I, I like again, I like to be surprised, but this is the 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 if I could change one thing in like the American like ecosystem right now, it would be to like rein in our First Amendment um, a little bit, like just on the just on the margins. Like I know, and I'm a big First Amendment proponent, and I was I you know as like you guys in law school really fervently adopted the idea that you know the best counter to bad speech is good speech. And that like ultimately in the free form of ideas, like good ideas ultimately win and all that jazz. Like I'm, I'm all about those theories of the First Amendment, but this like eradication of fact, um, the ability to like blast to millions of people every hour of every day, completely false information. Um, I, think, I, I think that there has to be some serious querying about how far our First Amendment actually goes, right? It just, it just seems that it can't stretch, but so far. And, um, and, and it's, been, it's been getting pushed real heavy these last four years. Um, and, and it's getting pushed even harder now, we see, um, you know, with Fox and, and other kind of media empires. So I, I, I think that that's our big concern right now is we gotta, we gotta find some way to fix the media ecosystem. Yeah, uh, and briefly on the Cory, uh, Congresswoman Cory, or Congresswoman-elect Cory Bush, um, I'll say I'm not surprised for the reasons that Ed has laid out and I'll jump on what he was just talking about. I think there has to be, and I think President Obama in his 60 Minutes interview sort of addressed this. Um, we've just had you know four years of a constant assault on what truth and facts are. Um, and just blatant, and we talked about it previously on the pod, just blatant and indifferent uh, concern about the truth and what the truth are, is and what the tr- facts are. Um, and I agree with the First Amendment concerns because, um, you know, Fox News just does whatever they want. And th- even they're not they're, they're not radical enough for a large portion of Trump's base now. So they're going to places like uh, OAN, uh I think it's One America News Network um, and other places that are going to feed them the raw misinformation that they so badly want because Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram are no longer sufficient for them. And just it it is so damaging to democracy because for democracy to work, you need an informed electorate, which circles back to the topic we're talking about with civics education in this country. it's really scary for small D democracy when we live in a world where we can't talk about the same facts and have an actual argument uh, in this marketplace of ideals or ideas. And uh, I I don't know how we solve it going forward. I think you see uh, these tech giants are very concerned about uh, regulation. You you see Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey of Twitter uh, getting very concerned about potential regulation, but it was mostly concerned when it was Republicans doing the questioning, they seem to be shaking in their boots a little bit um, because Republicans have been the ones mostly crying foul about censorship. Uh, even though they're the ones who spew the most mis- if, like we, it's just not, it's day and night. There's too much both sizing and you're seeing, you know, some networks like CNN push back and like finally started. And it seems like they're doing it mostly now that the election's over. Be like, okay, they just lied. They, they're, they're, you know, and calling Trump out for his lies and other uh, Republicans. But it's like, you know, at some point, it's like, where were you for four years to stop both sides in everything, to stop acting like both sides are equally culpable, that we have this current uh, state of affairs where we can't talk about things and have the same set of facts to discuss them from and then argue about who what we should do. Um and as long as there's incentive and for to continue behaving this way, I think Republicans will. Um, and we just, at some point, it's like there are enough intelligent Republicans out there um, that know better and that, that know better, that should love country enough to realize this is dangerous. Um, but I think they rode the Trump train for all it was worth. They got their judges. They got their SCOTUS noms. And now they, they, don't, they don't know how to put the genie back in the battle. This, uh, this has now come to a time at the end of our shows where I like to give 
uh, Ed and Mood a little bit of room to address anything that's just been on their chest for the last few days, uh, something that they feel passionate about, uh, call it closing arguments, and I will start with, yeah, uh, with um, you. Yeah, this is probably my closing argument for the next uh, however number of weeks between now and January 5th, but uh, there is an election <laughs> in Georgia um, between uh, Kelly Loeffler, uh, David Perdue, Raphael Warnock, and John Ossoff. Um, all you need to know is that if you care about any of the things that drove you to the polls in November, um, about healthcare, about student loan debt, about the pandemic and actually getting another stimulus check or getting some type of cash infusion for the lockdown that is going to be necessary because we are continuing to spike. Right? I think we a couple of weeks ago, we projected on this, on this pod that um, that we would at some point be at a million cases a week, we're there. Um, and so if you care about, you know, any of the things that I hope drove you to the, the, not just being against Trump, but if you actually are hoping to get anything out of this administration, this is the most important election of your life. And so if you're in Georgia, um, please get your absentee ballot. Do not wait till January 5th. Um, you can start voting uh, now. If you are not in Georgia, like myself, Find a way to get involved. Write a check to Fair Vote. Write a check uh, to you know Stacey Abrams' organizations. Um, write a check to the campaigns. Uh, get on the phone banking list. Get on the text banking list. Uh, I am really okay with everyone being really annoyed with me for the next six to eight weeks, if it means that uh, come January fifth we have a fifty-fifty Senate and Kamala Harris, Senator. Now, Senator, soon to be Vice President-elect, or soon to be Vice President Kamala Harris, will become the most powerful person um, in the Senate, and one of the most powerful, already be one of the most powerful people in the country. But will really be like not like she won't be Vice President, like President and waiting Vice President. She will be like at the gavel, Vice President. And um, and I think that you know, for a lot of us, seeing a black woman in that seat, casting the deciding vote over and over again for all the things we care about, should be enough of motivation. Um, but even if that's not enough motivation, I hope that um, I hope that whatever drove you to the polls, and I know for a lot of people it was kind of economic insecurity and concerns about the pandemic. Um, those concerns can are only going to be dealt with in, on, with a Democratic Senate. There's just no way. Mitch McConnell has already basically continue, you know, espoused that he'll continue his role as the Grim Reaper of every Democratic policy. Um, he calls himself the Grim Reaper. This is an actual thing that he calls himself. Um, and so, you know, January 5th is the runoff. I, I want everybody to try to get their hand on the ball. Um, you know, obviously if you're a Georgia voter, you're the most important person in the country right now. Um, and if you need some special, text me, call me. I will, I will personally talk to you until you are motivated or so annoyed with me that you vote either way. I don't really care how we do this. We can do it. We can do this easy way or a hard way. It doesn't matter to me. It does not matter to me, okay? <laughs> uh, I am here to persuade you. So uh, that's, that's, that's what I want people to focus on. And, Ed, you are, Thank if you. nothing else, very annoying. Uh, where's, uh, where can we I am you at Edward Williams, too, on Twitter and Instagram. So this is my closing uh, argument and, this and week. Uh, we need to find some empathy and we, as we discuss government policy. Um, two particular things that I've seen going around on Twitter, arguments about it. Um, the first being student loan forgiveness and the discussions centering around uh, minority, Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer talking about he believes that President Biden, or when he is President Biden, uh, could through executive action forgive up to the first $50,000 of student loan debt. Um, and you saw these like just insane arguments against it and how that's not looking out for everyone. Look, the economic impact of forgiving $50,000 in student loans ripples out, even if you don't have the debt yourself. And it, th this sort of thinking also carries over to the ability to maybe raise the federal minimum wage, which we'd have to do through legislation, except for uh, contractors, which could be done through executive action. Uh, but raising the, the minimum wage to $15 and you see the sort of, why would I pay somebody $15 to work at McDonald's? And, you know, it seems like people completely forget that, you know, a rising tide <laughs> lifts all boats. You know, when, when the least amongst us win, all of us win. Um, because then the, the, the 
what you're expected to get compensated r- rises for everyone. And we should want everyone to make a living wage. You know, if you work 40 hours a week, you should not have to work a second job to make ends meet in this country. That's just that, that that's that should be what we all agree to, um, that, you know, working two and three jobs should not be necessary um, to make ends meet, um, to have some, you know, normal standard of living. And I think we need to have a little more empathy in our discussions and not just think, you know, short term, how does this benefit me directly? And think about the larger, our common man, like, which is something we've also talked about in this pod before, which is we have to think about our brothers and sisters, even the ones who, you know, are in that 74 million. Um, because the, I think if they see they benefit from that too, um, some of them can be converted, maybe, maybe. Uh, but it sort of ties back into Ed's closing argument. We've got to take, try to take the Senate because all of this is dead or most of it, uh, unless we can get, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris in that seat breaking ties. Because, um, you know, these big things, like Republicans aren't interested in them. They're just not. Um, so we really need to have empathy in how we talk about these policies and how we sell these ideas to people. Because these are the meaningful things that change people's lives, that make tangible difference. And if we want to get a COVID bill out, to fund these restaurants, bars, gyms, everything else that's going to be shut down, that we, we, we can see. We're approaching 250,000 deaths. We're knocking on the door. We'll probably hit it by Friday. Um, if we're going to get a COVID bill through that actually does what we need done, we're going to need that Senate because Mitch McConnell is not interested. And where uh, where can they find you on on uh, Twitter? Uh, and as always, you can catch me at H U C O S E L L. That's H U Cosell on Instagram, Twitter, and uh, catch my written work at hucosell.com. As always, guys, thank you. I really appreciate your time, uh, listeners. You know, get involved as 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 Ed mentioned in the uh, in the Georgia runoffs. Please be safe. As we mentioned, the COVID cases are spiking, and please wear your mask. Try to just try to maintain for a, a little while longer before there is a, a national plan, maybe that gets uh, rolled out and put to pl- put in place.